famed 20th century preacher, author, and by the way, Alliance pastor, A.W. Tozer, you may have heard of A.W. Tozer, he makes a stunning claim in this book he wrote in 1961 called The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, now listen to this claim, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. That is a ridiculously bold claim. He is saying that it's more important than my, my nature, than, than the DNA I was born with, more than my nurture, more than how I was raised, the cumulative impact of life's experiences on me. He would say, yeah. What you think about God is more important than all those things. In fact, he goes on, and check this out, he says, we tend, here's why, we tend by, by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. Whatever our mental image of God is, we start moving towards that, becoming like that. He goes on, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes to mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. This is ladies, like, if you want to know about what a man is really like, you know, as you swipe right, you know, in that email, you might just say, and by the way, what comes to mind when you think about God? There is nothing more important. Now, church affiliation, I'm aware of, uh, in our country is decreasing. But the reality is every pollster uh, that, that has ever taken a poll would tell you the same thing. Yeah, church attendance might be on the decline. I mean, we're blessed here that it's not, but church attendance might be. But if you ask any American, pretty much if you ask anybody that's ever lived, the vast majority of people still believe in quote unquote God, or at least who they perceive God to be. And who they perceive God to be means more, as we just talked about, than anything. Let me show you why, by way of example. ISIS, we've become very familiar with some of these images over the years. The ISIS fighter fights, why? Because he believes certain things about God. Who he is, what his character is, and what he wants. He does what he does, as horrible as it is, because of who he perceives God to be. You with me on this? Very important. Mother Teresa. She served the poor and the dying in Calcutta because Mother Teresa had this deep personal conviction regarding who God was, what his character was, and what he desired. She did what she did because of who she perceived God to be. Do you see this? Now, every soldier that has ever fought on any side has always said this, I got God on my side. He's on my side. I don't know, most of you have seen the movie um, uh, Saving Private Ryan. In Saving Private Ryan, and this is Private Jackson, he's a sniper up in the tower. Private Jackson recites, you can go home and look this up, it's fascinating, it's called the Sniper's Prayer. And as he fired, it's in the movie, he's going, blessed be the Lord of my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. Well, because God's on his side. Now, Muhammad Atta, who boarded a plane on September 11th, he picked up one of those bags through security, and in that bag, there was a note that said, shout Alu Akbar, which translate, God is greater, because this strikes fear in the hearts of the non-believers. Because God's on his side. <coughs> Whose side is God on anyway? In fact, who is God? 
Now, this isn't just about one religion versus another. Don't get that wrong. The Christian church over the centuries has gotten this wrong. We don't need to look at other religions to see what a misunderstanding of God does. The Inquisition, the Crusades, all acted out of this powerfully deep misunderstanding of who God is. Heck, we still have not figured this out, right? I mean, look, is God the angry, judgmental, about to strike and make sinners pay God? Is that who he is? Because if that's who he is, then your church looks a certain way. Or is God the all-forgiving, all-lovering, tolerant of any and all behavior? It doesn't matter. Kumbaya. Because your church will look a certain way too. Who is God? This is a really big question. It makes a huge difference. And here's what I'm going to tell you. This, you you'll see this as we get to the end. This is, not, this is about you, your life your relationships, your jobs, your kids. If you will commit to this series, if you'll be here, if you'll get in a small group and work through this material with you, I'm telling you, you will understand God in a new and fuller way. You'll, you'll, you'll see that he revealed himself in ways that you have not seen before, and that revelation will change your life. It has to change your life. I promise it will change your life. That's a bold statement, but I think it's, it's an accurate one. Now, what I'm not going to be doing in this series is telling you who I think, I, who I think God is. Because my understanding of God gets skewed too. We'll talk about why. What we're going to be spending our time on is understanding who God himself said he is. And to do that, we're going to be studying the most quoted passage in the Bible by the rest of the Bible. Now, you might be interested in this topic, but you're not convinced that, that Jesus is the Messiah. You might not call yourself a Christian. And you might ask, well, of course you're starting with the Bible. Why don't you start with something else? Why would you start with the Bible? And that's a valid criticism. Now, here's what I would, I would say in response. Those of us that are followers of Jesus, we hold that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. But I get it if you're not sure about Jesus or you're not sure the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Here's what I would say, just to be totally fair and transparent, okay? If you just would approach this from a purely historical, secular, humanistic point of view, the revelation of God that we're going to be camping out on in this series, which is going to be in the book of Exodus, it is not only the, these couple of verses where God reveals who he is. It's not only contained in, quote, unquote, the Bible. It is foundational in the teaching of the Torah, and it is deemed by Islam to be divinely inspired. If you're just being honest... Any search for God is going to go right back to what we're going to go through right now. So who is God? To answer that, what I want to do this morning is where I'm going to need you to stick with me. It's going to get a little heady. We're going to trace through how God revealed himself starting in the beginning. Book of Genesis, first book in the Bible. First chapter, first line, first book in the Bible. The writer of Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, and here's the first revelation of who he is, God. Good, pa good pastors say it like that. God. Right? I got this nasally voice. I didn't get gifted with that. God cre created the heavens and the earth. Now, leading into this series, I've been telling you that in the, in the, in the ancient times, the times when, when these words were written, a name wasn't simply a moniker. A name had meaning, profound meaning. It reflected who you were at the deepest levels. It said something about you as a person. It revealed your character. So, 
Is, is this God? Is that God's name? Is his name God? And what does it mean? If you get nothing else out of this, this is going to be fascinating for you to understand going forward. Do you know what God's name is not? God. His name is not God. This word here, in the beginning God, in the Hebrew, which is the language this was written in, is the word Elohim. Can I hear you say Elohim? Elohim. Oh, you're with me. This is going to be awesome. And just like in English, Elohim is not a name, but it's a title. It means deity. So that means when you go to God and you go, God, you're essentially going, accountant, <laughs> nurse, uh, fireman, you are calling him a title, but not a name. In the beginning of the story we all know, there is a deity. God reveals himself as a deity who lives outside of time and space and seems to be up to creating everything that we're aware of. Now we're going to fast forward a little bit because God, over time, continues in a revelatory way to show himself to man. We're going to jump to Genesis chapter 17. We were in 1, we're going to 17. As many of you know, God chooses a man named Abram, right, to reestablish his relationship with man. The same Abram to whom, again, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam trace their roots. God comes to Abram and reveals himself a little bit more. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, here comes a new revelation, I am God Almighty, which in the Hebrew translated El Shaddai. Anybody remember who was it, Amy Grant? Yeah. Uh, right? Like, I can't hear El Shaddai without hearing El Shaddai. Anyway. Um, and so, this is a further revelation of who God is. It's still not a name. It's still not a name. But it's a further revelation. Let me explain. El, right, and El Shaddai. El is the shortened version of Elohim. And at that time, it was used as the Canaanite word. That was the, the world in which um, Abram existed. It was the Canaanite world for the king of all their gods. The Canaanites believed that El was the king. It was a polytheistic society. El was the king of all the gods. So God, in this new revelation, says to Abram, you know what, Abram? I'm not just a god. I'm not one of the deities. I, I'm, I'm kind of like El, but I'm bigger than El. I am El Shaddai. I am the one great God over all other gods. Goes on. He says to Abram, Abram, walk before me faithfully and blameless, and then I'm going to make a covenant between me and you, and it will greatly increase your numbers. Abram falls face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you, Abram. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be called Abraham, because I've made you a father of many nations. And this is just another reminder here, you're going to see it come up, that names in the Bible mean something. God changes Abram's name to Abraham because it had meaning. Abraham means he's going to be the father of many nations. So we know Abraham's name, but we still don't know God's. See, we know he's El Shaddai, that he's the almighty God over all other gods. In other places, God would go on to reveal himself in the Old Testament as El Elyon, God Most High, or El Olam, God Everlasting. See, see God, God, God shows us his attributes, but, but as of this moment, he's still not showing us himself. Now, if you know the Old Testament, you might also know that there was another common name by which God would go by. In a polytheistic world where every culture had a plethora of their own gods, when Abraham comes on the scene, he goes, no, 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 there's only one God. 
And so Abraham becomes this father of a nation, and this nation doesn't have a bunch of gods, it has one God. And so people that were outside of that nation would go, oh, Israel, they, that, they have one God, it's the God of Abraham. And then when Abraham, you know, when, when, when Abraham had kids, it was the God of Abraham and Isaac. And when Abraham and Isaac had kids, it became the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then when, when it grew, it just became the God of our fathers. That was another name. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll see often referenced the God of our fathers. But that's not a name. Now, here's the deal. If you stop here with your understanding of who God is, you will stop where almost every single person stops because you will stop understanding God by knowing his attributes, but not knowing him. You get that? You'll know his attributes, but you won't know him. You'll know he's creator, powerful, almighty, everlasting, but you won't know his name. You don't even know his name. You just know about him. Okay, let's fast forward. God is continuing to reveal himself over time. We'll fast forward a couple centuries to a man named Moses. Moses is a descendant of Abraham, and he's living with these people that Abraham was promised. However, they are not free. They are slaves in Egypt. Many of you know the story, right? Good Friday, you rush home from Menham Hills on Good Friday night. What's on TV? Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston, right? And he's talking to a bush. Or, you, or maybe, you know, you're not as old as I am, and so your reference for what this looks like is uh, the Disney thing, right? Um, Prince of Egypt, right? And, and he's talking to a bush. What's going on with this? Well, God calls Moses, either the Charlton Heston version or the cartoon version, whoever you want to bring in mind. God calls this very real person, Moses, who believes himself to be completely unqualified. Okay? He, he has no confidence in his ability to pull this off. But God calls him and speaks to him through this bush. And he says, here's the deal, Moses. I want you to lead a mutiny against the current world power. I want you to go back to a people that right now have the proverbial boot of Egypt on your necks. I want you to go back to them, tell them to rise up, they're leaving. A call to which Moses says, are you kidding? I mean, are you crazy? They, they're going to kill all of us, God. Hey, God, when I go back down there and tell them, hey, by the way, I just met with God. In a, in a, he was in a fire in a bush, and he says that we should just all leave. Um, what are they going to say? What, what, what happened? In fact, here's exactly what he said. Uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Moses said to God, suppose I go back down de there to them, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? So Moses asked God, I'm not sure if I go down and say, hey, my grandpa's God says that it's time for us to overthrow a world power. He goes, I, I think I'm going to need something better than my dad's God, Moses, or, or God. So I'm going to ask you, what's your name? To which I need to explain something. There is in Hebrew no direct um, correlation, there's no direct translation of that question, what is your name? And the translation that you would use, um, there's several things that you could use to translate it in. The translation that would have been common for what is your name is actually not what's in the Hebrew here. What's in the Hebrew here is Moses asks God, Ma Shemo, Ma Shemo, which in Hebrew says much more than what's your name. It's more like Moses is going to God, you want me to do this? He says, I need to understand who you are. What's the meaning of your name? 
What's the significance of your name? What makes you, God, you? You want me to do this? You want me to go back down there? I'm going to need to understand you a little bit more than I currently do. He says, tell me about your character. He's not looking, he's not looking for a, a, a label. He's not saying, are you Robert or George, right? And this is when the Elohim, the El Shaddai, for the first time in the history of humanity, this is crazy, you got to feel almost like the ground would shake, how holy this moment is. For the first time in history, he pronounces his name. As intimacy with man grows, he says, I'll tell you my name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. When they ask you who sent me, you say, I am has sent me. And you got to picture Moses going, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> That's what you have for me? I am? You want me to go back down and tell them we're going to overthrow the world power because I am sent me. Which doesn't make a lot of sense, but if you keep, stick with me, we're going to keep digging a little bit deeper here. I am who I am. In Hebrew, this is how it would have been pronounced. Ehye, Asher, Ehye. Ehye, Asher, Ehye. One of the ways, if you go home and look at this in your Bible, okay, in Exodus chapter 3, you'll see a footnote in most of the translations. There are various translations of Ehye, Asher, Ehye. It can be translated, I am who I am, I will be who I will be, or whatever I am, I will be. Meaning that whatever God is, he's unshifting, he's marked by consistency, whatever God is like, he's always that way. 24-7, 365, he's always on, he's always this way. And so God goes on to Moses and he says, okay, my name is I am. Got it? That's my name. Go tell them I am sent you. Very next verse. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, see how T is capitalized, L is capitalized? Whenever you see T capitalized and L capitalized, that's important to pick up here, okay? He says, the Lord, God of your fathers, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. It's the name you shall call upon, you shall call me from generation to generation. This name is really important, and you and I were supposed to call God this name forever and ever and ever because it had to have had meaning and significance this name, I am, God said, this is a new revelation from now on. Call me this name. Very next verse, tell them the Lord sent you. Wait, what? I thought you just said, call me this forever. And now you said, call me the Lord. What happened? Why does the rest of the Bible never really come back to Yahweh? Or never come back to I am? It keeps coming back to the Lord. Okay, a couple things. Hetty, stick with me. God calls himself Ehye. I am, Right? When you see the word, the Lord, both capitalize that in Scripture, it's because it's a translation of the word that comes from the exact same root word of Ehye, which is the first person way to say, I am. So when God says his name, he says, Ehye, I am. But when we say his name, we would say it in the third person, right? The third person, which would be Yahweh. You hear the similarities? God would say, Ehye, we would say Yahweh. So God's name, as you and I would say it, is Yahweh. That's his name. That's his name. That's what it always will be. That's what we were to teach to our children. That's what we were supposed to address him of. That's his name. That's what he wanted to be called. His name had meaning. It represented another step closer to God in intimacy. We once knew his name. 
He said, stop calling me banker. Call me by my name. Now, you might ask if this is important, then why does my Bible here and in so many other places drop Yahweh and put in capitalize the Lord? Here's why. Two reasons. The first is a little bit of a Hebrew lesson. In, in Hebrew, you pronounce vowels, but you don't write them. So in the initial translation that was handed down over time, Yahweh is translated like this. Y-H-W-H, no vowels. And while there is nearly almost universal agreement that the vowels are what, what, what brings about Yahweh, nevertheless, there was still the vowels were missing. But here's really why that the rest of the Bible doesn't really use Yahweh, it uses the Lord. The prominent reason was there was a pesky one of these Ten Commandments out there. And the Ten Commandments said, you shall not misuse the name of Yahweh your God. Now you're being a good Jew and you really don't want to tick off God. And so you start saying, well, I'm not sure there's a benefit to Yahweh. Maybe we'll just figure out just to make sure we don't make any mistakes. We'll just call him something else. So over the years, they started calling him different, different names. They moved away from Yahweh. Sometimes they would call him Hashem, which just meant the name. We can't say the name, so we'll say the name. Other times, uh, there was a, a popular one became Adonai. Have you heard of God called Adonai? Right? Here's why they called him Adonai. That's what a servant would call his master. So they used that title for God. Interesting side note. Raise your hand if you've heard God called Jehovah. See why this gets very confusing? Like, who is this guy, right? He's got like 50 names. He's like a bunch of aliases, right? But this is because, mostly because we were afraid to call him by his own name. We didn't want to mess up and get him ticked. So we started calling him different names. Adonai became big, right? Now, where did Jehovah come from? Well, since they were uncomfortable calling God by his title, they started calling him Adonai. And then what they did was they took the vowels from Adonai and put them in the consonants of Yahweh, like this, what you see above me. And in Hebrew, the Y's sound like the J's and the W's sound like the V's. And hence, Jehovah instead became Yahoah, or Jehovah became, Yahoah became Jehovah. Guys, God did not ask you to call him Adonai, and he did not ask you, he is Adonai, but he did not ask you to refer to him that way, nor did he ask you to call him Jehovah. In a moment of incredible intimacy, as he drew very near, he wanted us to know his name because in knowing and understanding his name, we might know and understand him. But there's something in us that just is so afraid of drawing near. Now the story goes on. Moses... He told Moses his name, but he doesn't really answer Moses' question. He doesn't reveal at deep levels what his name represents. Moses didn't want the moniker. He wanted to know who God was, what his name represented. And he got that God is what he will be. But what is he? I mean, that's great, God. You're going to be what you're going to be. What, what you be? You know? I, mean, I don't get it. So the revelation continues. Jump ahead in the story. Moses has led his people out of Israel, and they've been wandering around in, in the desert. And Moses, you know, he used to meet with God. And so he would, what he would do is they would camp, the Israelites would camp in the desert, and Moses would set a tent up outside of the camp to meet with God. Do you know what creative name they called that tent? The tent of meeting. And so God would go, Moses would go out and meet with God in the tent of meeting. Exodus 33. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. 
Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their own tent. Now this is so cool. Check this out. Watch what God is doing as he's making himself and revealing himself to man. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Do you see the increasing intimacy? Get this. Elohim, El Shaddai, he has friends. Who knew? He's moved from deity to friend. Now Moses, he's been dragging around a lot of dead weight through the desert for a lot of years. And these people, they're just so dysfunctional. I mean, you think you have dysfunctional relationships, right? Like he walks away, well, God keeps doing miraculous stuff and these guys keep creating something else to worship. And so Moses, he's frustrated, he's angry, he's disappointed, he's probably a little discouraged, maybe disillusioned. So he sets up, he goes into the tent of meeting, and in the meeting he says to God, his friend, he says, God, you have said, I know you by name. So again, the intimacy factor, God knows Moses' name. God, by the way, would later say that his people, his followers, he has their names carved in his hand. Do you know your name? Your name, representing who you are, is carved into the hand of God. He said, I know you know, I know, you know my name, and you said that I found favor with you. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I could know you and I continue to find favor with you. See, Moses wants more of God. He, he's the only one. Most of the rest of us, we like the Adonai El Shaddai thing. Moses goes, no, I, I, I need more of you. And so the scripture reads God's reply. As the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to do the very thing you asked. I'm going to answer your prayer. Because this is a relationship. You've asked, I'm going to, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'm pleased with you. And I know your name. I do know who you are. And Moses is, well, he, you know, Moses is feeling his oats a little bit now. And so he feels the intimacy and the friendship of God. And so he goes for it. And he says to, to God, Moses, not, not just show me your name. He goes, God, show me your glory. Now, in English, you read glory and we think fame, but that's not what it meant in Hebrew. Moses was saying, show me, here's what it meant. It meant presence and beauty. So Moses says to God, you know what, I'd, I'd really like God. I, I, you're calling me to lead these people. Would you show me your presence and beauty? Would you reveal to me at new levels who you are, what you're like? I need another revelation of you. And so, so God says to Moses, Moses graciously, he says, look, you, you can't see my face or you'll die. He's so holy. He, he, he's, so, he's so brilliant that, look, you can't actually see me. No one may see me and live. But God says to Moses, I'm going to do you one better. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'm going to proclaim my name to you. The Lord, he says, Yahweh. I'm going to proclaim my name, Yahweh, to you in your presence. Meet me on the hill tomorrow morning. It's like a movie title, Up on the Hill. And so here it is. Dawn breaks. Moses heads up the hill to meet God. And God promised him, I'm going, to, I'm going to reveal myself to you like I've never revealed myself to any other human being. This is the one and only place in the scripture where God describes himself. And because of that, stay with me, church, this is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. Meaning that all of the biblical authors, remember, this is only the second book of the Bible we're in right now. The everything to the right makes a big deal of these verses. The rabbis, 
then and today, call these the 13 attributes of mercy. Orthodox Jews pray them on holy days like the coming Yom Kippur before the reading of the Torah at the synagogue. This was and stood, should still be the John 3.16 of, of that day and our day. But we lost it. So, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of this and to wake you up. All right. And we're going to read it together. Ready? Here's the revelation of who God is. Moses goes up on the mountain, and here's what the scripture says. Read it with me. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Amen. Take a seat. When you came in this morning, I, I gave our great staff, I said on Thursday, you know what? We should really memorize this because if we memorize this, no matter what happens in our life, we can always remember this is who God is. So when you came in this morning, you got a prayer card. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this every week. And I want you, if you're track with me, to try to memorize this. It's only two verses. You can memorize two verses and this will stick with you. This is God's full disclosure. This is who I am. My name is Yahweh, which means what I am, this I, what I am, I will always be. This is who I will always be. Now, is there anything in that description that bothered anybody? Yeah, I don't really like that last part. <laughs> that would have been much easier to drop off. Um, so here's the deal. Uh, that, that last part we're going to explain. I'm just not going to tell you when, so you're going to have to keep coming back until uh, it won't be today, but uh, it will get explained over the course of this. Uh, it doesn't mean what you think it means, and it also means something kind of like you might think it means, so we'll talk about it, because we're going to be going through this. This is the whole series, this verse, understanding who he is. I'm going to show you one last thing, last point. Jesus shows up on the scene, and John, the gospel writer John, introduces us to Jesus this way. He says, the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh, listen to the wording here, and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so John, what John is trying to do, you can't see it that well in the English tra translation, but, for example, the phrase, made his dwelling amongst us, is literally translated, pitched his tabernacle amongst us set up a, me a tent of meeting with us. Glory, that's a reference to the cloud at the top of Mount Sinai. Grace and truth is actually, uh, it's actually how, it comes from the reading of the Hebrew phrase translated, love and faithfulness. This is John's way of retelling the Exodus story around Jesus, making the point that in Jesus, you see the creator God's glory, his presence, his beauty like never before. The answer to Moses' prayer, can I see your glory, is yes, his name is Jesus Christ. In Jesus, Yahweh becomes a human being. 
Later on, you get to eavesdrop in the scriptures on a prayer Jesus is having with his father. He says, I have revealed your name to those you gave me. I have made your name known to them. Remember, God's name was a stand-in for his character. Eugene Peterson, who we just were working through some of his material, he translates this verse this way. I have spelled out your character to them, God, your character to them, God, in detail. And this is important because it says something about the significance of who Jesus is. Was he merely a prophet as the other religions who claim the Exodus verse as divine, or was he something else? Here's what Jesus claimed to be to the Jewish leaders of the day. Now understand, this is how you get crucified. He said to them, your father Abraham, you just heard this story, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. I'm him. The people of Jesus' day got this claim. The early Christians got it so well that there's an old saying in Christian, Jesus Christ is Lord. The, the word there, Lord, the first Christians, most of whom were Jewish, that word there was, a trans, was translation. Lord was the translated word for Yahweh. The early Christians were walking around, not only offending Caesar saying Jesus is Lord, they were actually walking around offending the Jews going, Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh and blood. So what's the point? The point is that is in Jesus Christ you have the fullest, most intimate revelation of who God is, what his character is like. Is Jesus compassionate and gracious? Yes. Is he slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness? Yes. Does Jesus forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin? Yes. Does Jesus take sin very seriously? Yeah. Like it cost him his life. See, it's important to see this because otherwise you get confused, right? And I, I hear this all the time. When you don't see this, you start to think of the God of the Old Testament, this Yahweh God, uh, as being different than Jesus. It's not that way. It's not like the Old Testament Yahweh God, oh, like, you know, he's a mean, angry, judgmental old guy who should have had more of his oats or something. And, and Jesus, well, you know, he's like the son he sent off to a liberal college, came back driving a Prius with a Greenpeace bumper sticker. Jesus claims to be Yahweh, not just his messenger. He says, I am, I am. And why am I so excited about this? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with, with this, and then we'll pick it up next week. Here's why I'm excited about it. Because first this, we don't know God. We think we do. Oh, man, we think we do, but we don't. Because we start with a presupposition that we know who God is. You hear it all the time. I heard it with the hurricane last week. Oh, the God I worship would never allow something like this to happen. The biblical authors, they start with an entirely different understanding that you and I have no clue about what God is like. Who do you think you are to know what God is like? But you can learn who he is. You just got to go to the right source. In the book he shares the study by New Testament professor Scott McKnight. I've told you about this one before. Oh, I love it. He taught a class on Jesus, and he would start every semester with two surveys. Do you remember me talking about this? He would start the class with two surveys. The first was a set of questions about the student, what they liked, what they disliked, what they believed, and so on. And then the second set was the same set of questions, but this time it was about Jesus. 90% of the time, the answers were exactly the same. 
You know, it's funny, it turns out that Jesus hates the same people you do. It's kind of strange. Jesus loves the same people you love. How interesting is it that Jesus is very passionate about the things that you're passionate about? Fascinating that Jesus is willing to let go all the things that you don't think are a big deal. What's really most interesting to me is, did you know that Jesus voted for the same guy you voted for last time? <laughs> we have a propensity like crazy to do this, right? To make God in our image all the time. And as the author, I heard the author say brilliantly, we wonder why we get bored with God. We, we're not bored with God. We're bored with the figment of our imagination of God. We're bored with him because we made him up and we can control him. That's not God. That's you. That's just an idol you created in your image. See, the real God is anything but controllable. He's knowable, but he's not controllable. If we would get to know what he is like, Tozer said it would impact our life like no other thing. And guys, please understand, I'm not talking about jihads or protests. How you understand God will impact how you will treat your wife this afternoon. Who you perceive God to be will impact the way you talk to your wife tonight. Did I say wife twice? I meant husband. <laughs> See, it's my own bias. I told you. We got to look at God's understanding. And I'm but who you, who you perceive him to be. What were your parents like? They parented you often based on what their perception of God was. This is life-changing. If you understand who he is, it changes everything about you. How you perform at your job, what job you take or leave, what relationship you stay in or walk away from. It all comes from the same understanding. Second point, second point. Get this now. This, this God is a person. Don't, don't misunderstand. He's not a person as you might think. It's not like he has hair and bones and things like that because the scriptures say he's spirit. But he is a person as defined by theologians, meaning that he has emotions and feelings and character. Because he's a person, he loves. Do you know he loves you? Because he's a person. Because he's a person, he grieves. Do you know he grieves over you? God is not a force or an energy source. He's not a concept. He's not a... Please stop telling people on Facebook that you're sending positive energy their way. He's not positive energy. He's a person. He's relational. He wants to relate, to know, and to be known. All he wants is to be in relationship with his creation. That's his point. That's the point of all of this, that you would know him intimately, that he would know you like a friend. He has a name. He wanted you to call him by his name, not just deity, but Yahweh. God doesn't want you just to go to church. God doesn't want you just to know facts about him. I mean, as good modern Westerners, we relate to God based on facts all the time, right? Before you came in today, if I said, tell me about God, you would go, well, you know, there's those omni things. He's omnipresent. He's omni, what are those other omnis? He's, uh, you know, like, oh, omnipotent. Um, see, that's attributes. He wants you to know him personally. He's not a distant Adonai, but a personal Yahweh. He wants you to live like this, wrapped up in his presence through Jesus. 
And lastly, lastly, at least for this morning, this, God has a name. It means something to you. Yahweh, it means who he is. He will always be. It means who he is, and we said who he is. He'll always be that. Do you know why that's amazing? Because there is nobody else like this. I change like a chameleon. I love you all so much until you say something to me I don't like. And then I don't like you anymore. <laughs> right? It's true. Like, you know, I'm trying to tame my flesh there, right? But um, th this is, the, the writer does this great question in, in the book. You, if you're not in a small group, you can get the book. You'll get more out of it if you're in a small group. He asks the question, have you ever thought you knew somebody really well, trusted them deeply, thought they were a stand-up person, and then you get the email or the phone call or the knock on the door and you discover a shocking double life hidden in the shadows? Actually, your friend is wanted by the police. Actually, the story she fed you was a lie. Actually, your husband's a cheater. God's not like that. There's no facade. There's no, well, actually, once you get to know him, there's nothing like that. He's true to his character. He's a God you can rely on. Let me, uh, let me help you understand. If God is passionate, when is he passionate? All the time. He's always compassionate. If God is gracious, when is he gracious? All the time. He's always gracious. Why does it matter? Band, you guys can come up. Why does it matter? Well, I'll tell you why it matters. Because if you're wandering around a, a desert for 40 years, then this becomes a really big deal. When you're wandering around the halls of a high school wondering where you fit in, this is a really big deal. When you're waiting for the call back after being out of work for a year, this is a really big deal. When you're waiting for the scan results to come back, this is a really big deal. I am who I will always be. That's my name. And when the one you love is never coming home again, this is a really big deal. This is God. God. His name is Yahweh. He is God Almighty, fully revealed in Jesus Christ. He is your friend. And what he is, know this at the deepest level of your heart, what he is, who he is, he will always be. And now you know what that is. You know him. You know you can trust him. You can walk with him and talk with him face to face like a friend. His name is Yahweh.